new season is here, gentlemen, and I hope you are ready to give your way too fucking rosy Leafs predictions for 2022-23. I'm ready, baby. This is Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cameron McCacker, and I'm joined by Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. And before we talk Leafs, boys, it's been a pretty brutal week on the hockey culture front, which... You could probably say about almost any given week uh, for the last, like, I don't even know how many years. Uh, but but let's start a little close to home here. We've got a few things I want to touch on quickly um, with, I don't know, what are we calling this? Simmons versus Simmons is, I don't know if it's it's been given a, a title yet, but uh, Steve Simmons wrote some racist shit in the Toronto Sun, which is like saying you wrote a recipe in a cookbook, you know, it's it's what it's there for, right? <laughs> um, just talking some shit on Akima Lou and uh, using Wayne Simmons as an example of a quote-unquote model minority, um, which prompted Simmer to hop on Twitter and basically tell Steve Simmons he was going to smash his ugly fucking dome in the next time <laughs> he decided to act out. Um, just a side note, I had to scroll back to check and and that was the first time Wayne Simmons has tweeted something other than like retweets and sponsored content since Willie O'Ree's jersey retirement in January. So <laughs> Steve Simmons caught his attention. And uh, it, it's it's tragic that this happened on the day the Leafs waved Simmons. So who knows when he'll get his next scrum with this weaselly shithead if ever. But yeah, I mean, that, that was just uh, pretty much standard fare from Steve Simmons, I guess, at this point. I, I hesitate to even give, you know, shed any light on it, but but just I thought it was worth touching on because of the way that uh, Wayne Simmons completely put him in his place. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw the, the comments from Nazem Kadri. Uh, he kind of alluded to the fact that uh, their group chat for the HDA lit up pretty hard uh, after that article came out. So you can just imagine, you take what Wayne Simmons said on Twitter in response to that garbage article from Steve Simmons, and you can kind of uh, put the puzzle pieces together and imagine what the how the conversation was in a private setting between those guys. Uh, I mean, it couldn't happen to a better guy. Steve Simmons is just... The epitome of clown journalism, it, it's, it blows my mind that he is still employed. I mean, I, I know you referenced the Toronto Sun, and, and you're not wrong, Cam. Uh, throw a little shout out to our, our guy, Terry Koshin. We don't uh, group you in with, with Steve Simmons, Terry. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just uh, it, it's embarrassing that this guy is still out there in these media scrums and, and able to have access to players and teams. It, it's just, it, it's gone on too long, man. Yeah. He's, he's always been a hack. He always will be a hack. And I just don't understand yeah. what he thought. Like, did he think that Simmons wasn't going to respond to that? Like that's, I, I, I really think he doesn't have a clue how wrong and off base he is. He's just a, he's a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just dumber than dog shit. Well, did um, you see his follow up on Twitter today? He basically did the equivalent of, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. He tweeted um, out a, a link to the article he wrote about Simmons after he played his 1000th game or whatever saying, I guess Wayne Simmons forgot about this article. Like just mind blowing uh, stuff. Oh, man. Tool. Yeah. All right. We got to move on. I can't talk about this. fucking <laughs> anymore. Um, next, uh, Ian Cole, 
Uh, this is fucking bad. He was accused of a whole bunch of horrible shit, uh, including grooming a minor over a period of years. And the post containing the allegations certainly made it sound like a pattern of behavior. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you to to seek it out. Um, you know, lots of articles now up on the Athletic, etc. Because Ian Cole has been suspended by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I guess the the question that I'm left with here, and it's kind of just a general thing with you know the the steady flow of horseshit, is like at what point. Do people in this game start getting angry about abusers and not like angry about like confirmed, outed, corroborated by Rick Westhead and Katie Strang? No doubt about it, abusers, but like actually identifying these patterns and behaviors as they're happening before it becomes a national incident. And like the further question of can that even happen in a sport where you know, like abusive officials is tolerated to the degree, degree it is in hockey and where abusive coaches are still revered and in demand. Like is the, is the fact that different shades of abuse are permitted in hockey contributing to to issues like this and the fact that they're just constantly popping up. Like I don't have these answers obviously, but man, this, uh, this fucking story made my skin crawl. Yeah. And it's, it's not the first time that, Ian Cole's name has, you know, been attached to some sort of controversy. Obviously, this is on a, a completely different level. But I think, you know, when, when you have maybe the reputation that he has, it, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to say it's not surprising, because anytime you hear something this heinous, it, it should shock you. But w- with the state of the game and the culture of the sport and, and just everything that's been coming out, over the last several months and, you know, even going back years now, it's just, it's really disheartening, man. I don't really know what else to say about it. Uh, I hope that, you know, if the investigation does find that he was, was guilty of these allegations, uh, I hope he's persecuted to the full extent of the law. I, I think at some point, like this is what bugs me about this type of stuff, because these are all very, 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 very rich individuals that can afford the absolute best possible lawyers in the world. And you look at Patrick Kane and Evander Kane and Jake Vertanen, and though they may they may have gotten off in like the court of law, at what point does the team, you know, even if that happens here, at what point does the team just look at this and say, okay, legally you got away with this because of whatever reason that your your shitbag lawyers did, but you're still a shitbag human, and I don't want you on my team. Like I saw enough in this investigation to know that. I don't want you around my team. I, I hope it doesn't come down to just what the court has to say. Well, it, we have a perfect example of it just with one of those players you named. Like Jake Vertanen was just brought in on a PTO by the Edmonton Oilers. Like just a complete disaster from like not just a, like a PR perspective, but the guy wasn't even fucking good enough to make the team. Not that that should excuse any you know, past allegations or past yeah. behavior or anything like that anyway. Don't get me wrong. But like yeah, they already did little, that with Evander Kane. Yeah, exactly. So like, but like, just what are you doing? Like, I I can't wrap my head around it. And just like these guys don't deserve another chance when when they've committed an act like that. One of the lines you'll hear surrounding this stuff is that, you know, this is a societal issue. It happens everywhere. And that's not entirely untrue. But I just want to know why it is that so many of these piece of shit abusers and sex creeps see hockey as the place where they can ply their trade without fear you know uh that that that's one of the lines that hockey canada was trying to to sell us you know it's a societal issue uh with you know their piss poor showing in front of parliament over the last few months and and honestly we're not even going to get into that right now because i can go on 
twice as long as we already have about Hockey Canada. I've worked a couple of events for the organization. I have some observations, but we, we've got some fucking hockey to talk about here. So we're, we're going to shelve this discussion for now because these absolute fucking doofuses can't go four hours without setting a new record for the dumbest, most out-of-touch shit you've ever heard in your life. So we'll have something next week. Andrea Skinner, look out. Steve Simmons bailed your ass out this time, but next week it's on. That's assuming that the lights are still on and hockey hasn't disappeared forever between now and then as a result of her resignation. <laughs> I was, was going to chime in and say, have you guys noticed that the lights are still on in the rings around your place? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bad scene out there right now, but yeah, we'll, we'll continue this discussion, but, uh, we're just, uh, about 48 hours away from the beginning of the Toronto Maple Leafs 2022-23 season. So I want to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> now that we've made ourselves sufficiently angry, <laughs> now that we get into the whipped <laughs> ourselves up and established how fucking rotted this sport is at its core, let's talk hockey. Um, so final cuts kind of made Nick Robertson got sent down and it was kind of acknowledged that, you know, he's the guy who goes down because he doesn't have to go on waivers and pretty much it's going to be an emergency recall as, as soon as they can do so after game number one. So so we can effectively look at Nick Robertson is on the roster here as well, um, at least until Tavares is healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any large takeaways from uh, the final cuts, Nick? Uh, I think the biggest thing was it. I, I think that it was more of a, a merit-based selection process this time around than perhaps we've seen in the last couple of years. I, I know like it, you mentioned Wayne Simmons going on waivers, and, and he's been an incredible soldier for not only the Leafs, but you know throughout his NHL career. And it, it was a genuine joy to watch him suit up for the Leafs, even in kind of a diminished capacity the last couple of years. But it, like it, he just... He, he didn't have the legs or the juice to to beat out some of these other guys for a spot on the team anymore. And, and then you see a guy like Dennis Mulligan come in and have a, an absolutely stellar preseason and really come out and win a spot. And he's got that spot, at least for now. And, and I, I think he did everything he could to to deserve that so i'm really curious to see how he's able to kind of translate that into the regular season when things kind of tighten up and teams get more into their systems and and he's playing against full nhl lineups uh, on a consistent basis but he he showed incredibly well in the preseason and and i think that's kind of the story for me is just that it it was more of a a merit-based selection process you know uh, nick robertson aside but as you mentioned it he's he's more or less on the team at least until Tavares is healthy again yeah and and kind of across the board like obviously Robertson and and Morgan had you know great preseasons but even the, the new guys that were brought in like Yarn Croak and Obey Kubel and Aston Reese all pretty much came as advertised not that any of them were in the kind of or at, at risk of not making the team I think they were all pretty locked up even Aston Reese was pretty much penciled into the lineup as soon as he signed the PTO but yeah I mean the the thing that I'm most interested about is what this lineup looks like. Like assuming Tavares comes back before somebody else gets injured, it's it's very difficult to to put this roster together. And unfortunately, it's probably Robertson that goes down just because of the waiver status and them not not wanting to lose anybody else and not any really anybody else you know being worthy of being sent down. 
it's it's weird to already start to think about trades and stuff like that, but it, it feels like there's just not enough room for the number of NHL forwards that they have, especially when you consider the utility that they would get out of a Nick Robertson at his cap hit versus the utility that they get out of a, a Kerfoot or an Engvall who obviously carry a much, much higher cap hit. And, you know, thinking about things like going into the deadline and picking up pieces at that point and, and having that kind of flexibility in the cap space, not to mention not even being able to, you know, carry a spare forward when, when people are healthy. And, and if Robertson was down in the, down in the AHL. So I don't know, it's just, all this could change with another injury. And, and then this isn't even, doesn't even really matter, but a fully healthy lease team right now, uh, it kind of feels like something has to happen. Got a few names for you. Uh, see if you can figure out what these guys have in common. Should be easy. Michael Amadio, Alexander Barabanov, Nick Shore, Par Lindholm. All claimed on waivers? All in the Leafs opening night lineup over the past four seasons. Which player in the Leafs opening night lineup will be gone by Christmas? And you can't say Malgan. That's cheating. <laughs> I'm I'm probably gonna go. Uh, it's it's a tough one, and I think it comes down to the two guys uh, we mentioned there, uh, Engvall and Kerfoot. And you look at what both of those guys make uh, against the salary cap. The fact that they're both pending unrestricted free agents, and just what the Leafs have coming behind them, it, like with the way that Robertson played in the preseason, if you know. We're, we don't know exactly how long he's going to be in the NHL lineup. It's all going to come down to Tavares' recovery or whatever. But it, even if he goes back to the American League and continues to kind of play and dominate the way that he did, not only in this preseason schedule, but the way he did down the stretch for the Marlies last season, at some point the Leafs are going to have to create a spot for him if they don't have one. So I, I think you're you're looking at guys like Engvall and Kerfoot, um, if I was a betting man, I would go with Engvall uh, just because the versatility that Kerfoot provides, and it seems like that you know the organization really values him not only on the ice but off the ice. And Engvall is—he had a great year last year. I'm still not completely sold that he's you know uh, a 45, 50 point NHLer. Uh, I know some people are kind of have him on that trajectory after the season he had last year, and, and the tools are there for him to do so. But uh, I think we've all seen stretches of Pierre Engvall where you know y- you question those tools and, and just the the overall vision on the ice and things like that. Uh, I, I think when it comes down to it, you know, barring injuries up front that open up salary cap space or roster spots, they're going to have to make a move. And and I think that Nick Robertson just kind of slots into that left wing role that Engvall is currently filling. It's a tough, yeah, it's a tough question because all of those guys that you named Cam were all, you know, fourth liners that were kind of bubble guys. And if you look at the fourth line that they're going to start the year with of Aston Reese, Camp and Obe Kubel, like none of those guys are getting put on waivers. That might be, you know, one of the, best fourth lines in the league that they, they for once they have like a fourth line that's you know seems to be put together with purpose and has an identity and it's not just like a, a mismatch of you know a, a guy brought in you know on a, on a short like a, a short-term deal that doesn't really have the skill set that they have and like a you know spezza and a whoever else simmons or something like that where it's just kind of like a, a weird thrown together line they're, 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 you know, it's it's the same idea that Keith had with his, his fourth line or third line last year, but um, I think that uh, they'll probably be considered the fourth line. So I, d- I don't know 
there's no really easy answer, I guess, like looking at everybody that, that Nick just said, but you're not really going to see somebody, I don't think, get put on waivers to, to be the one that gets moved. So I think you're right, Nick, it'll likely be a trade. The only other name that you might throw in there is is Justin Hall. But I mean, unless you're, I guess if you're you're ready and, and content with, with Victor Mete, when when Lilligan comes back as, as Mete being your seventh guy, then uh, that, that, that could be tough too to move Hall. So it's going to be interesting to see. That's why I said it earlier. I, I really don't know how this shakes out with a completely healthy lineup. Um, but as we know with hockey, like it, yeah. it, it, this all could be for not, for not with another injury. Someone will get hurt on Wednesday night and all of this will be moved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll all go to shit in a hurry. Uh, I think you, you have, you have it right there, Keith, like looking at, you know, that fourth line, like I, I same thing. I, I don't see a clear, you know, guy who, who is waiver fodder uh, in short order. So I think that if there's any of those guys, like you said, Nick, it's going to be someone who gets traded out, maybe an Engvall, maybe a Kerfoot. Um, you know, the problem with, with Kerfoot has always been like, you know, there's a lot of sentiment, like, well, why why is he still there? Why didn't this get this get done over the summer? But it's like the, the reason that the Leafs kind of want out of him would be the same reason other teams wouldn't want him, right? Like it, it's paying a little too much for, you know, kind of the middle of the lineup talent. And, you know, there's, there's a reason the Leafs, Leafs want out and you know to, at a certain point the, the guy's uh, just more even, valuable on your roster yeah i'm just not convinced that they even really want rid of kerfoot I, I think that you know a lot of us have probably underestimated how much they value what he brings to the team and just the fact that he, he's a guy who can literally play anywhere in your lineup like what was the the talking point on the broadcast that last week they said he played like 10 of the 12 starting forward positions at some point last year or was like at least slotted in there as the game started. I think the only ones he didn't play were fourth line right wing and uh, yeah, I can't even recall. But basically he he played in every situation for the Leafs last year, was a guy who was able to just kind of fit into a variety of roles. And I, I think when you have a player like that who's low maintenance, can kill penalties, can kind of not drive a line, but at least keep up with more talented players. I, I think that, that there's a lot of value to be had there. Uh, and I, I think that a lot of us probably underestimated how the Leafs view them. Yeah, just with the construction of this team, though, I'd feel a lot better about my Swiss Army knife making one and a half, two million than, than three and a half. Like, it's just somebody making three and a half in the leagues, like, they just don't have a lot of room for like middle class players. Like, the, yeah. like you're either going to be playing, you know, getting big money or outperforming a small contract that on a one-year deal and then you move on to Vancouver like that's there's not and that's the other thing too is like all of these guys that we're talking about in Engvall, Kerfoot and Hall they're all pending unrestricted free agents and we've seen a number of players in the same situation just be allowed to walk out the door when free agency rolls around and I mean you can get away with that for a while but at some point you've got to start recouping some kind of asset you know even if it's a, a mid-round pick for a guy like Engvall or Hall, it, at, at some point you've got to find a way to keep the pipeline flowing and keep the cupboards stocked a little better than what they have, I think. so. Uh, yeah, I, and, and I, I should, I should like, I mean, I said Vancouver, but obviously Edmonton too, but like, I think if you look at like Hyman and Mikheyev, they were, they were extremely important to the team. Obviously Mikheyev less so, but just with his penalty killing ability and speed that he brought, like keeping them for the stretch run felt like a better piece of utility than than moving them at the deadline on their contract years yeah. even knowing you weren't gonna be able to sign them i don't think it's the same thing with kerfoot like i i don't think he's so cri- critical to the team that you can't recoup some sort of asset but then to camp's point i don't know how much of a market there is you know 
I'm sure teams look at the fact that he scored 50 something points last year and say, yeah, but he did it with John Tavares and William Nylander. And we don't have John Tavares and William Nylander. Yeah, I think that's all fair. The real pressing question as we prepare to kick off the season, uh, Thursday night, Leafs open at home. When they score, assuming they're not shut out, what do we hear? I think it changes. And I, I say that one because Austin Matthews says he wants it to, but also <laughs> just like there's just been so much fucking talk about it. I just think that they know that if they play something different, there'll be a huge reaction. Um, and I don't feel like Holland Oates has any kind of sentimentality to the team where it's been this like 75 year tradition where they play the same fucking song. Like there's just been so much talk about it that I think it just makes sense to, to move on from it at this point. I don't know what it'll be, but I think it'll be different. It's definitely been more of a, a talking point this off season than it has been at any point since that's been the goal song. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of lean in the same direction as Keith, but the fact that it's kind of quieted down uh, after, you know, those initial comments from Matthews and some of the other guys, I, I don't really know. I, I won't be surprised either way. Um, but yeah, I, I'll go with Keith and say that it's good. It's going to be something. different. And, and I should preface that by saying I, I don't mind it. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal or that bad of a song or, you know, I've kind of come, come to like it, but I think it is. And just with the way that, that, Dubis kind of operate not that this is like necessarily his call but just the, the culture of the team um you know they were the, they kind of did the like the no dress code thing for a while and like they just kind of seem to be thinking of new you know doing things in new ways at, at certain points but like the whole personalized goal song thing kind of just screams Toronto Maple Leafs to me so I I don't know if that's what they'll do and if they do they'll probably make some sort of like announcement before the game with each player's song but yeah I, I, I just don't think it stays the same yeah, I think it's done. I'm I'm very sad about that. I'm I, I <laughs> saw my fingers guys. crossed. <laughs> I love all notes. <laughs> as as I said, if they change it, I I hope they change it to another Hall and Oates song. I would say <laughs> uh, I can't go for that, <laughs> or say it isn't so. I I think that you know that's a a decent option as well. <laughs> okay, well, um, how, you know Keith mentioned there'll be a huge reaction if they do play something different. If it's another Hall and Oates song, man, Twitter is gonna be fire i would i fucking need it i need it so bad (laughs) i'd be hilarious if they just did it for the first song like or the first goal and then then it went like back to the as long as it wasn't that one that that guy that myrtle uh interviewed last year oh man the guy that wrote the song that was that was one of the more embarrassing moments in the history of the athletic (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes but yeah my uh my hopes aren't high i think that we're done and i just had such a good bit going where i had this whole folder of just you know stock photos of holland oats from various photo shoots <laughs> over the years and every time every time they get rolling and search just banging goals in, i just be tweeting out the uh, picture for each different goal oh, fuck it was a great bit and now it's probably gonna be gone the fact that all three of us said that it's changing can i think you're a bit safe because we're not all getting it right. So, <laughs> judging by our predictions from last year, we're going to all get it wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. What, what was our, uh, what was our playoff uh, line over under that we all went over? <laughs> not, not get into it. Yeah. Uh, but but we we will get into it because we're we're going to make our predictions now for the coming season. Uh, if you missed it last week, we reviewed our predictions from last season, and, and we're going to make a lot of the same. 
um, predictions here, some alterations. Um, uh, we're we're going to start off with uh, picking some playoff teams from the Atlantic Division, and, and then we'll just pick our division winners for the rest of the league. But starting off in the Atlantic, um, this is going to be a little tougher than last year because it was pretty clear, I think, who the playoff teams were going to be from the Atlantic. And as we pointed out last week, there was like a 30-point spread from playoffs to not non-playoffs. Uh, so... Um, this year I think it'll be a little tougher. I'll go first, okay? I've got the Leafs at one, uh, followed by Tampa Bay, and then Florida. Um, so there's your top three in the Atlantic, and then I've got just one more team uh, making the the playoffs and the wild card out of the Atlantic Division: the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, perhaps a hot take. Really? Yeah. Um, I I think that it, I, I probably the clear one that. Um, you know, the, the snub is Boston. Um, I think people probably still expect them to have it this year, but you know, that we've been talking about kind of the decline coming for a little while there now. And looking at Boston, like they've got no Marchand, I think until like Christmas McAvoy, I think is out for a while to start the season. Um, you know, there's some question marks there and they're, they're not getting any younger. Um, I, I could definitely see, Boston slipping a bit and you know there's some talk about Ottawa maybe kind of being the dark horse I like Detroit a little more um, as the dark horse in the Atlantic I I, I like that Um, the defense is a question mark Um, you know I like the forward group a lot they added some good you know veteran scorers they They got they had my favorite offseason yeah, they, I, they, they, I thought they yeah. did well. Uh, Huso, yeah. I, I really like Huso. I think that if there's anyone who's going to jump up and surprise and, and you know take a team to a, a new height, he, he could be the guy. So, yeah, Detroit, I kind of like him to, to slip into the wild card spot there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't hate that. I kind of forgot that they got Cop and uh, Perron and yeah. and then Huso and then obviously the the crop of young forwards that they had and young defensemen and they still have Dylan Larkin. So it's not you know like yeah that, that's, they got some juice. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but I I like it. I, I kind of like where your head's at, Cam, because I, I think that there is going to be more of a push from those four teams that were at the bottom of well at least three of them <laughs> from that were at the bottom of the division last year. Um, and yeah, I, I'm with you on the Bruins as well. I think that they're probably due for some regression. Uh, I've also got the Leafs uh, winning the division. Surprise. Uh, I think Tampa is going to finish second as well. And I, I look at the, the Panthers blue line and I think that they're you know due to fall back a bit from what we saw out of them last year as well. I still think they'll probably hold on to the third spot in the division. And then I, I think it's going to be kind of a a four team race for that last spot or that fourth spot in the division between, you know, an aging declining Boston Bruins core. Uh, you've got the upstart Red Wings, as you mentioned, uh, the, the senators have made a, a lot of huge moves over the, the off season as well. I still have questions about their back end, but I think that they're, they're going to be a much better team, a more f- formidable test than what they were last season. And I, I, I I hate to say it, but I think the, the Buffalo Sabres could, you know, inch into that fourth place in the division. Uh, they've got a lot of good young players who are, you know, continuing to grow as well. I think a full season of, of having Alex Tuck healthy and and all that there. You've got Dylan Cousins, who I think is going to break out this season and become a more 
prominent force in the league. And if Tage Thompson is able to kind of build off of what he did last year, that there's a lot there. And it, that's not even mentioning Rasmus Dahlin, who I think is primed to become one of the top blue liners in the league over the course of this coming season. Uh, the big questions for them are going to be in goal. You know, you got Craig Anderson coming back again. He, he's definitely up there in years, but can still give you some solid games. And the, there's Eric Comrie, who has kind of been a, a darling of waivers Twitter for the last few years. But he had a a strong season last year, and I I think he's primed to kind of grab hold of the opportunity there with with more – you know, more games up for grabs with an aging Craig Anderson as his uh, tandem partner. So uh, I'm kind of feeling the Buffalo Sabres this year as the the fourth team in the division. All right. So you got Buffalo in four and the last Atlantic division team in the playoffs? Yes. I think it's going to be very tight between them. Boston, Ottawa, and and I'm not as high on Detroit, but I think they're going to make a push as well. So I think it's it's going to be a much tighter race between those four teams. But I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Sabers inching into the playoffs. Spicy, Keith, what you got? Yeah, mine's not as exciting. I think it's the same four teams as last year. I still think Boston hangs on to it for one more year. Um, I, in terms of an, of the order, um, I'd go leafs tampa florida boston i don't think boston's a 107 point team again i think it's like it they you know they inch in with the kind of eight seed but um i say that with the caveat of ottawa making a splash earlier in the year with for uh, you know if it was chicken or, or something of that ilk if they throw another quality not just like you know a high-end nhl defenseman if they make that work um, like they've been rumored to be sniffing around, they could make some noise as much as it pains me to say that. I think that their top six is very good, um, but I don't think that they're there yet right now. Um, but yeah, I, I still think that we see the same the same four teams. And unfortunately, as much as I would love to dance on the grave of the Boston Bruins, I don't think they're there quite yet. I think they, they hang on for one more year. Okay. Let's move on to the rest of the league then. We've got uh, we've we've all got four coming out of the Atlantic this year. No double wild card for the Atlantic this year, according to us. So uh, let's move over to the Metropolitan Division. I I'm sticking with my pick from last year. I I got it with the Carolina Hurricanes, and I think that they're going to be able to pull it off again. Keith, who you got there? Again, not very exciting, but I think the Hurricanes are way too good to not win that division. Yeah, I know this isn't the most exciting uh, content, <laughs> but but it, it's it's hard to argue with, with that. Um, I, I you know the New York Rangers are, are going to give them a run for their money in that division. I think, and you you can never count out the Penguins with Sid or the Capitals with Ovi and, and that crew either. But I think that you know the Hurricanes just have such an abundance of depth at every position. Uh, they've got the high end talent, and a lot of their high end talent is still getting better so uh, i think they're going to be hard to knock off in the metro yeah i i think they're going to be scary this year possibly the best team in the league um let's stick with you then nick uh, as we jump over to the west we might have a lot of consensus here we did on the metro we did on the atlantic top three um and maybe the same case for the central who you got coming out on top nick I mean, who's going to bet against the Colorado Avalanche right now? I, I've, I think you'd be foolish to pick anybody else uh, coming out of that division. You know, there's the Raiding Cup champs, they didn't really lose any major pieces aside from Kadri. I think they've got the the depth to kind of withstand that loss. I expect a, a big year out of Alex Newhook. He's really going to come into his own, I think, uh, and kind of take over that, that spot that Kadri was filling for them. 
Um, yeah. Aside from them, I think the Minnesota Wild are still a very good team. The Dallas Stars might make a little bit of a push, but I'm not betting against the Avalanche. Yeah, I, I agree with you, um, but I, I don't know if I'm as bullish on like somebody like Newhook stepping in and filling the the shoes of a Kadri. I'm not saying he's going to score no, 80 he's not points 80, or whatever, but I think points, yeah. he's going to be sufficient in that role enough that the the overall team success isn't going to suffer greatly. No, I hear you. Yeah, I'm just thinking more along the lines of like just it gets a little hairy for them like with a, with an injury. I, I don't know. I'm just not – they still have some good pieces in, up and forward. They've Evan, they added Evan Rodriguez who had a pretty good year last year. But um, I think they're still the, the clear-cut winner. I think anytime you have – two of the you know top five players in the world on your team that's you can withstand losing a guy like Kadri and, and probably still coast in you I, would I log- think <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um but uh I think adding you know Georgiev too I, I like that um you know him and a Frankuz I think that's a pretty decent tandem um for a team that's probably going to score five or six goals every night yeah really hard to pick against Colorado um I I Part of me wants to just roll with Minnesota and kind of lean on the, um, you know, the, the fact that they're coming off a cup win and, and, you know, maybe the regular season just loses a little bit of its luster. And that's all that Minnesota needs to kind of make up the gap. You got, you know, some guys coming off some long playoff runs um, and, you know, the goaltending while solid is, is still kind of a tandem that could have its uh, dry spells. So I, I think that there's a chance that you could see Minnesota um, grab that division, but uh, I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to be the courageous one. I'm sticking with Colorado as well. Keith, who you got in the Pacific? I guess the Oilers. Um, yeah, I think kind of similar to what I just said about having two, you know, elite, elite players on your team. And, and I just think, you know, as much as I don't like Evander Kane, um, obviously that's a very good hockey player. And they still, you know, Zach Hyman, I think their top six is quite good. And I think we've seen what that could be in the playoffs last year. Still a little shaky on the back end, um, you know, and not. it's not like Jack Campbell lit the world on fire last year. He was good, not great. Um, you know, when you look at the entire body of work, um, you know, he's probably just kind of a little bit above average. But I think that, you know, compared to what they've had in, in net in the past, he's probably a bit of a step up. You know, McDavid might score 185 points this year. I like it's they're they're the team to beat. As much as I love Calgary and and just I I like Calgary's team and I just there's something about just the way that they rebounded from the losses that they they had in the off season to arguably be a better team. Like that was some kind of NHL 23 GMing. Like it was it was pretty remarkable to see that. Like you don't you don't see a lot of moves like that in today's NHL, like you know, big player movement mo- trades. And obviously we all know how good Mackenzie Wegar is too. And and they're they're gonna be an exciting team, but I, I'm not betting against this version of of Edmonton. I think I think they they did some pretty good work in the offseason. I spent all offseason not understanding how the hell they were gonna fit everything under the cap with what they were rumored to do, but they did it. Um I don't is Clefbaum like out for the year? Like what's what's his story? He's been out forever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he's like officially out, but if he comes back that's going to take some maneuvering cuz is his cap hit. But anyways, they yeah, they're, they're they're still my team. Nick. Yeah, again, not going to be overly exciting here. I think Keith nailed it. Uh, I think it's going to be a really entertaining year for the Battle of Alberta watching those two duke it out for the division title again. Um 
I, I, I really like what both teams did in the offseason, really, especially Calgary, given what they had to work with and the situation they were put in, you know, to be able to turn a disgruntled Matthew Kachuk into, you know, granted an older Jonathan Huberto, but to, to bring in Mackenzie Weger at the same time and lock both of those guys in for the, for the long haul. I think that was some really great work by Treliving out there. Um, but it, it's Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they're just they're otherworldly. There's not really another way to put it. I know we see some high end talent uh, in Toronto as well. And, you know, those guys are maybe even a step up on what we see night in and night out from the Leafs. So I, I, I've got to go with the Oilers as well. And I think that it's going to be a dogfight between them and Calgary with, you know, the LA Kings kind of starting to nip at their heels a little bit. They've got a lot of young talent as well. They brought in Kevin Fiala from Minnesota who had a massive year last year it, it is a bona fide star forward in this league. Um, I, I think that's kind of the three headed race at the top of the division, but I've got the Oilers coming out on top as well. Fuck. So boring. We've all got the same. <laughs> I'm Calgary. taking the flames. I'm taking the flames. <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, I, I like the moves that they made. You know, Kachuk is a loss, but I, I think that they really, really did well to, um, you know, mitigate what they were losing and arguably even maybe improved a bit based on, you know, who they brought in. Well, let's not forget they lost Goodrow too, though. Well, that's it. They lost Goodrow and, and they lost um, Kachuk. But, you know, you bring in uh, in return Huberto Huberto and Kadri yeah. and, yeah. and you add Uyghur on the back end to that. I mean, that's arguably a better roster than than what you had now. Like, I think that losing Kachuk, I look at that and I say, how's that going to play at playoffs? Um, but, yeah. I mean, that's that is a really good squad and long-time listeners know I fucking hate watching the Flames. They're so boring. They (laughs) fucking drive me nuts, but I'm actually looking forward to watching this a little bit. I don't know how much of a loss it is losing Chuck in the playoffs when you add Kadri. Like, Assuming yeah. he doesn't get suspended, but like th- that's if you're, if that's you're, a bold if you're concerned, I know, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, last year was the anomaly in him finishing the playoffs, but if you're worried about the loss of sandpaper, I mean, you, you, you pretty much uh, like arguably kind of it's, it's a wash, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm taking the flames and just because we've been so fucking boring, I'm going back and I'm taking Minnesota over Colorado in the central. Fuck it. There we go. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for keeping um, it spicy cam. No problem, but the Buffalo Sabres just weren't doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's get to a few over unders here. Um, I've really got a an act to follow here after the uh, the lines I set uh, last last year. As we heard last week, they were what have you got for encore? So I've got some juicy ones here, fellas. First up, Matt Murray save percentage nine oh six over. Yeah, man, come on. That, that's an, that's an, that's over. If any of us pick under, we might as well just like not watch any of the games this season because it's just fucking way too depressing to to be expecting that. <laughs> so uh, the funny thing here is, yes, under sounds tough. Um, uh, he had a nine hundred six last season. I think he was under nine hundred the the two previous seasons, but he's still a career nine eleven. So. 906 yeah i'm, I'm gonna go over but I, I think it's slight you know if we get a 908 that's not bad the leafs got 900 goaltending all year last year so even if that's you what know, everyone keeps forgetting like when it, was, it feels like it was less all year but yeah like that's you look at a lot of the guys like you know, like saying the lower you know in the bottom six and stuff and like there are rapm charts and it's like the 
the goals, like the, the actual goal statistics are the only things really in the red. Like every, all the expected stuff is, is above, like they, they got absolutely crushed by their goaltending last year. And I'm so glad we finally have not that expected goals is perfect or whatever, but like forever the argument against looking at the shot metrics where, well, they don't take into consideration the quality of the shots. Well, they kind of do now, or at least as good as we can. And the Leafs were a damn good defensive hockey team last year, along with being damn good offensively. They're, they're, it's not like they were giving, like giving up insanely high quality, high quantity, high quality chances all the time. Like these goaltenders can come in and just be better than Mrazic and Shogren were, um, you know, and, and kind of give you what the aggregate season of Jack Campbell is. Cause it's such an up and down year for him. Like there's no reason that, that it should be less than than nine ten to me with just the, the kind of competence that they have defensively. And, and then go and then doubling down on that with, with the additions of Yarn Croak and Obe Kubel and Aston Reese, like these are guys known for their defensive kind of prowess. So yeah. And that, the Leafs fourth it. line guy, if any line for the Leafs got caved in a little bit last year, it was that it was fourth, yeah. and Simmons unit at, at times throughout the year. So I think we're going to see a stark contrast uh, this time around with, you know, the, the David camp, Zach Aston Reese, Obey Kubel, man, that's a lot of names on one line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that it's, it's going to be a far more stable, unit uh this coming season i i suspect that we'll probably see those three play together for you know most of the season uh you kind of alluded to it keith earlier in the show they're kind of brought in and put together with a purpose it seems like there there's a real design there for that trio and yeah i just think that the the leafs team as a whole is so strong all around and limits chances well i'm definitely going over on the 906 for murray now, if you had asked us this when the Matt Murray trade was announced back in the summer, I think it might have been far more doom and gloom. But, you know, as we do as Leafs fans, we've kind of talked ourselves into believing this is going to work. And uh, that's where I'm at right now. So, yeah. Next up, Jake Muzzin games played. 11 and a half. No, <laughs> <laughs> Setting it at 52 and a half. Oof. That's a good line. That's a good line. I'm going to take the over on that um i'm just gambling that he's going to find better luck this season than what he had last year it it seemed like pretty much everything that could go wrong for jake muzzin last season did and uh, you know (laughs) strike me down if i'm wrong here but i I think he's going to be hard pressed to run into as much hard luck as he did last year so i'm going to take the over on the the 52 and a half yeah, that's that's fair. And I was going to lean under because I, I could see him, you know, just with the fact that they kind of have seven legitimate NHL defensemen, like I could see him getting some load management. But I also don't know if they're going to have the cap space to carry all seven. So I'm not sure how that's going to work either. That's a, a another kind of question about this. But yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to say over, but j- but just barely. I'm going to take the under on it. I, I think it's going to be close. Um, you know, I could see him anywhere between 50 and 60, but it, I, I think what you mentioned, Keith, about the load management, like, uh, you know, above and beyond any injuries he might may sustain, I think that if you learned anything from playoffs last year, it, it should be that Jake Muzzin can still be effective. 
Um, yeah. You know, in, in certain when he's situations. Good, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you have to focus his entire season around making sure he is ready to contribute in the playoffs. And if that means, you know, tons of load management down the stretch, then you got to do it. So I'm going to take the under just assuming that a mix of injuries and, and load management might uh, knock him down to, you know, somewhere in the 50 range. Uh, next up, Michael Bunting goals for the season. 19.5. Seems a little low, maybe, but uh, interested what you guys have on this one. Is he going to be a 20-goal scorer or no? Nick? Oh, uh, that's a that's a really uh, another good line, Cam. Um, I'm going to go very slightly over. Um, I think that he's just going to feel more comfortable and more secure in his role this year he, he's very clearly penciled into that uh, top line left wing spot uh, from the outset this year and you know looking back to last year that wasn't the case at the beginning of the season he had to work his way up into that role uh, and he still finished with 23 in 79 games um, it's going to be a, a, a tall task for him to repeat the success that he found last year but uh, I think he's going to Hang a, hang around the, the same kind of production that he, he put up last year. So I'm going to take the over on that. Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything you just said. Plus, like he's got the benefit of a full season of being in that spot. And also consider that Matthews had one wrist for the first little bit of last year, too. And I mean, and he, even think about Mitch at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yep, exactly. We saw some struggles out of that out of the team early, right? So, like, uh, somebody's going to bang in rebounds off Matthews hot shots. Like, somebody's going to be the benefit of backdoor tap ins from these guys. You know, magic work. Um, I, I think for the hands that he has, and and you know the the kind of game to get to the front of the net. Um, yeah, twenty goals seems seems pretty doable for him. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough you know you, you factor in possibility of like injuries it's just the margin so close i'm, I'm kind of tempted to say under but i, I like the point that you make keith like I, I think that there's just going to be a lot of a lot of dirty goals there for him to bang in so it, it could really easily go e- either way but um just with the game he plays like it it seems like it's he's always going to have those those opportunities around the net and as long as he stays healthy i think he, he's a, a 20 goal guy all season long with, with the with the top line. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I could even see him scoring more goals than he did last season and putting up like significantly fewer points or something, you know, like, um, and and, I mean, obviously you're going to get points just being on that line either way, but you know, 40 assists for Michael Bunting, that's that's pretty good. I can see that uh, dropping a little bit. So I think um, we, I think we have to factor in like, and I mean, he didn't have it last year, but he's not going to get a ton of, of uh, power play time. And I think that that's, what makes his season last year that much more impressive is that he did it with without a lot of power play time. So not that that's going to change, but again, even even at five on five, that line's just way too good. All right, so we're all over. Well, I've got an over-under for you. Cameron McCachron playing in Michael Bunting's spot. Over or under four goals on the season. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, way under. <laughs> no nah, man you you take you get five in off your ass or something but sure. you can set the 4.5 for number of times i was able to make it across the offensive blue line in time to fucking catch up to the play and i think it'd be under uh final one 
Nicholas Obe Kubel and Zach Aston Reese combined hits 299.5. Oh. Oh. So Reese, like Aston Reese, almost hit 250 himself last year. So uh, this could be a a very easy over. This could be over by Christmas. Um, (laughs) I think it's, yeah, I was going to go over and and I I always like to bring this this line up because I loved it when you said it early in the podcast, Nick, about these guys being human beings and not just like, you know, hockey robots that go out there. Um, these guys know what they've been brought in for. They know this is a team. They know this is a team that lacked physicality and has lacked that jam that, especially in the playoffs to whatever, you know, they know that they've been brought in for a reason. They're going to do it even more than they did it last year. So uh, yeah, hundred percent that, that I'll take the over. Yeah. Easy over for me. I just it, like, I don't really have anything to add to what Keith said. Those guys know what their role is on this team. And yeah, that, that's pretty much all it comes down to. They've, they've shown that they do it in the past. They've, both you know been basically wrecking balls uh for the entirety of their careers so i'm really looking forward to having that element on the team and seeing it you know more functional physicality like what we saw out of wayne simmons and kyle clifford like they're more than willing to get in there on the forecheck and, and lay a big hit when the opportunity is presented to them just their lack of foot speed and ability to kind of just keep up with the flow of play you know as their careers have progressed i think it became more apparent last year and they just they didn't have the legs to get there and get to those spots to make those hits but i, I think it's going to be a, a very different situation with aston reese and obey kubel and uh, i'm very much looking forward to watching them hit the over on that yeah and i do like the idea of those guys getting Again, like I, it's not going to be your typical fourth line that plays under ten minutes, right? So they're going to have the ice time to to do that as well. So, yeah, I mean, Aston Reese could have two hundred and fifty by himself. So, yeah, doesn't yeah shouldn't yeah, be too I, difficult. I, I kind of wanted to to set this like fifty hits higher. It's just you look at their career numbers, and you know, like one fifty, that's a good season. Like that's that's uh, kind of the low end. But yeah, I think this is going to be an easy over. I'm really looking forward to watching this uh, watching this line play and and. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, Simmons, Clifford, you know, respect what they've been able to do with their careers, and obviously they're they're tough and all that. But when it comes to actually, you know, getting guys in on the four check and getting the body on, I, I prefer the young legs, and and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys can do. And and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think they've probably sacrificed a bit in the uh, face punching department. Yeah, but it, I think that they're going to more than make up for it with the the functional physicality, as I said. Just the the fact that these guys can still play and have the legs to get to where they need to be. And they're still both very strong defensive players as well. So they can be trusted to handle those difficult minutes alongside camp. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it as much as I'm going to miss watching Wayne Simmons punch guys in the face. Yeah, they definitely, <laughs> they definitely are lacking in the... the, the quality of the face punching but no one would fight simmons for the most part like he, yeah. didn't, he would have gladly fought more i think but he didn't have a whole lot of willing combatants i think they Aston wouldn't Reese even look at Obe his Kubel. end of the bench <laughs> no yeah, yeah. no and Aston Reese and obey kubel will piss guys up enough that won't be that scared of them that i think that they'll get in their fair share as well like knowing that they the hits that they like, I've already seen a couple of them in the preseason that, you know, you're going to get those borderline, like, <laughs> borderline hits that there's going to draw a response. And even if it's just, you know, dancing around for a minute, I think there's still going to be quite a bit of, of, uh, of, of kind of 
five minute majors going out to those two guys just from guys chasing after them final over under lights on in the rink 0.5 <laughs> <laughs> fucking idiot our final set of predictions our bold predictions um usually player focused, but it can kind of be whatever you want i'll go first it's not bold at all austin matthews becomes the first player in 30 seasons to score 70 goals not bold you're right. I was going to say 75. really that bold, which is just fucking bananas to think about. <laughs> that's the <laughs> kind of player he is, man. Like, he's just, uh, he's, it's a treat to have him in blue and white. I don't, don't really know what else to say. I, I like that one, Cam. Yeah. I'm excited. Who's next? Keith, you got one? Yeah. Uh, give me, I mean, this is kind of boring, but there's, there's just, I'm trying to think of like new additions to the team and, and what they could bring, but. Give me, give me Callie Aaron Croke scoring twenty goals for the first time in his career. Ooh, that, nah, I, right. I, that one is kind of spicy. I like that one, Keith. You know, he's a guy who's. Really, I never know, realized how good his shot was either. Like he's got a fucking shot. He's got a very good shot, uh, and you kind of alluded to it on last week's episode. That, you know, Nashville wasn't the most offensively driven team. You know, during the course of his time there. Um, he's probably going to be deployed in a bit more of an offensive system slash role with the Leafs. Yeah, he seemed to avoid the camp line role, so he's yeah. he's at least going to be on that. Like whether you know whether it's Malgan with him or Kerfoot with him or Robertson with him, um, or you know Engvall's got some offensive jam. Like I, I, yeah, he's he's not he's not going to fall by the wayside of getting a million D zone starts. Um, and I still think, like I said, I still think he sees some time with Tavares and Nylander at some point, especially if they need, you know, a little bit of help defensively. So, um, yep, I feel I feel pretty good about that one, but it's definitely still a bit of a take. Yeah, it's, it's definitely still a little bit bold. Uh, but yeah, like he also had 12 goals in 49 games at the Kraken last year. Yeah. So there's, some, there's something there. Yeah, I, I think it's plausible for sure. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of Cameron's um, with Austin Matthews scoring 70 plus. I think Mitch Marner is going to win the Art Ross Trophy this coming Ooh, season. Baby. Yeah. That's so, what we want. You know, I don't want to wish injury on anybody, but it might involve <laughs> David getting hurt, but I love it. <laughs> well, I just look back at the second half of last season after, you know, Mitch got his early season troubles out of the way and came back and was rolling he he was right there for for the scoring lead down the stretch of the season he was just an unstoppable force him and Matthews together were just magic and I think if you got both of those guys coming into the season healthy feeling good motivated um, yeah I think it's it's a distinct possibility it's it's gonna have to be in conjunction with a down year for McDavid, I think. But I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that Mitch has the, the talent and is in the proper role to at least have a shot at it. I dig it. Some uh, some big, big pie in the sky here stuff. I've got Matthews with 70. Nick's got Marner winning the Art Ross. Keith has Callie Yarncroke scoring <laughs> 20. Truly the, the three engines that make this team run. Somewhat gra- grounded here, guys. Um, we, we didn't get to have our second annual two first names drafts before training camp. 
Um, oh, darn. And, and oh, God, I forgot. What about, about this. the guys with two last names? <laughs> yeah, two last well, names. Well, we, gosh, we yeah. don't have time to, to squeeze it all in here, but I, I did do a little prep. So I just thought that I would run through some of the names. If you, if you missed it last year, you can go back and listen to our two first names draft. Of course, a lot of those guys are still there. Curtis Douglas, obviously one of the elite two first name names uh, in camp. Um, Kyle Clifford, I don't think was there last season, so he would have been a shoe in. Uh, some other really good ones. Max Ellis, Dylan Ferguson, Dryden McKay. There's some McKays. Matt Murray, yeah. Jordy Ben. Yeah, Matt Murray's a good one. Yeah. And arguably a, a triple first name, Zach Aston Reese. <laughs> the triple first name draft. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for next the first season. time in Lamenting Leave history. Yeah, triple first name. <laughs> <laughs> um,. All right. Well, there are our predictions. I look forward to watching them all come true over the course of the next uh, eight to ten months. Um, that's why we keep coming back, baby. That's yeah. right. That's right. All right. Well, well. thank you, gentlemen. I'm looking forward to, to puck drop. Uh, really thought, though, that we would have just a little bit of overlap with the Blue Jays season. Just a little bit. Oh. Not much. Just a bit. Oh, my God. Oh, made, me about, made me about as mad as Nick Richard and Tim Horton's drive through that's that's not for the podcast (laughs) off air road rage um yeah that that was tough man that uh i mean it's one thing to to you know completely blow it but you you know you drop both games at home like it was just right there it was right there on the platter to to go through and I mean, I know, you can you can live with as frustrating a, as game one was. You can at least live with it because Castillo was dealing like he pitched a gem. Not that the Jays had a lot of great at bats against him, but, you know, he was very worthy uh, of earning the shutout in, in game one. I think when you look at game two and being up eight one in the fifth inning with your back against the wall. And hey, it felt really leafy, didn't it, fellas? You know, that little flare from Crawford into shallow center, Bo and George collide. That was awful. Holy fuck, that was bad. It's just like our good friend Kyle Cushman uh, tweeted at the time that was like the best example that he's ever seen of worst case scenario it it very much was you know you you have two of the most important players on the team collide and you know george was taken off on a cart it would have been interesting to see how long he would have been out had the jays been able to to keep it going but to have that happen in that moment and tie the game all at once it was just so deflating it was that old sinking feeling all over again yeah it uh, it sucked it just sucked it sucked because i was i was away too and like i I couldn't really watch the games because of the time zone shit and then i was flying home during game two and i i literally like connected to my phone when i was still like thousands of feet in the air i don't know if i like, no, that, like, that's not allowed. Yeah, Keith, like, that's Keith like, jumps into the chat. <laughs> Keith jumps into the chat while we're all melting down, and he says, it's tied, isn't it? I said, just don't even look at the box <laughs> yeah, score, dude. Just no, I did not continue. have a chance to look at the box score. Yeah, continue was, in uh, bliss. That was rough. I, I walked through customs line uh, streaming the game on my phone, and everybody – it's like it's one of those like lines you go all the way down to one side and then all the way back and then all the way down. So you pass 
people every like kind of few minutes that you just passed when you're kind of meeting in the middle. <laughs> There's these two guys behind me that I kept holding the, holding the phone up for them so they could watch it. It was in the, in the Halifax airport. So yeah, it was, uh, I got to watch the, uh, Got to watch the end of the game, which was um, not that much fun after flying for eight <laughs> hours. Yeah, the the yeah. swing in that you know moment on that blooper that I like as soon as as soon as it was off the bat, I was like, "That's an out. That's that's a that's a pop fly, and that's that's an out." And then it just went to shit, and you knew that that was it. That was things were going downhill in a hurry at that point, and it was yeah, the old familiar feeling. Yeah. Toronto sports, baby. Catch the fever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that yep. note, we're looking forward to another season of Leafs hockey. <laughs> you had to close it out like that. Hey.